Okay, so I see Marshall on screen. Good morning, Marshall. How are you doing today? I'm super well, Francisco. It's always a good day when I'm here with you talking race cars and friends. Excellent. And you have some very special guests today, correct? Well, I have one confirmed, and that is the amazing Tony Perella. I also have our cat Rocky in the background who may join us, but he was not invited, but that's just fine. But yes, we have one of the great, great folks who's brought so much to the sport since he came into our world. Tony Perella, Trans Am, SVRA, open wheel cars, he circuses. Uh, I don't know. What else is he doing? Is he, he going to the moon? SpaceX? He does it all. But luckily, yeah. We got Excellent. Tony Prella here. Beautiful. Good morning, Tony. So morning. you guys are on for the next 30 minutes. So thank you for joining us. And uh, it's on to you, Marshall. Tony, A, it's always a good day when you start off the week with you and your insights about what's going on in the world of uh, Prella race holdings, all the various series that you have going on, your speed tour, which is really taking off. We've got this fun little jamboree going on this weekend in my neck of the woods, the track formerly known as Sonoma Raceway, but something deep in our hearts, better known as Sears Point, where from the mid 80s on, the moment I got a driver's license, I was heading to Sears Point and down to Laguna Seca to see Trans Am. Tell me about what we have coming this weekend with this Western swing for you and your series. Well, you know, first of all, Marshall, it's always good to talk to you. Thanks for having me on today. It's, this is an, a milestone for us. Something that, you know, I set out to do nine years ago was try to get every tier, what I call tier one road course in the country on our footprint and then fill in the blanks with either Trans Am or SVRA or now FRA and F4. Um, but what was neat was we had Sonoma for a while and then we weren't in Sonoma. And then I got Laguna and now we finally have Laguna and Sonoma and they're back to back. And the, the big deal about, I don't know if anybody's ever pulled that off before, the, to go, you can finally make, starting on the East Coast, going to the West Coast makes sense because you get two marquee tracks in California with one toe is it was the was the concept behind it and so we kick off sonoma with our quote west coast trans am and an svra event and then we were off for a couple of days and we test on thursday and back racing uh friday through sunday with svra and trans am and the laguna race will be the national show of trans am so both uh, the Trans Am, both events, even though the West Coast event is Sonoma, that's over 30 cars. Or in fact, I think we have 31 as of this morning. Wow. And um, I think we're going to hit 60 Trans Am cars for the national show. So I'm <laughs> really excited um, to see where we are. I mean, this is, it's kind of checking one of the boxes that I had sketched up a long time ago that if, if you don't have both of those tracks on, on your schedule, obviously you're leaving something on the table in California. So to have them both and to have them back to back is really a privilege. Let's talk about the wider world that you've developed as well, Tony. 
So coming in your SVRA, your vintage event, uh, that's the thing that most folks came to know you in terms of quality, quality offerings, a lot of fun, some innovation and variety as well with the uh, V-Rock uh, races and such, right? So SVRA is really where you planted your stake in the ground, added Trans Am to that. We have Open Wheel, right, with the Formula Regional Americas, this association with the SCCA. It's a lot going on here. Can you just share for those who know you for vintage racing and maybe Trans Am only that, hey, indeed, there's a lot more that you have going on now? Well, it was, it's really been a fun uh, evolution, frankly, of, of SVRA. I, when I came in nine years ago, it was SVRA only. And we were, people don't realize we only ran three events in when I bought the company in 2012. It, wow. it, it was Sebring, uh, uh, Watkins in Mid-Ohio. So here we are this year, we're running 17 events. Uh, and, and we didn't have Indy this year because of, because of COVID. So you know, we will be back to 18 events in 2022. I plan to be back in, in Indy. Hopefully, the way things look, we will be. And it's uh, it's really evolved because it it's what started out as just SVRA, and the scheme was, well, all right, I'm going to build vintage racing to a national scale, and have frankly bucket list tracks for people who want to go experience it. And that was my first exposure to. SVRA. I grew up near Watkins Glen and I got to drive from Texas to Watkins and actually race where I watched my first Trans Am race. That was a big deal to me. And so that concept is really what the foundation of SVRA was. But when you, when you looked at the economics of vintage racing to do the footprint that we had, it would have been tough sledding if I didn't have some other pieces parts. So Trans Am was a brand I knew and loved and grew up with, and it, in a sense, needed propping up a little bit and it, to get back to get back to the scale it once was. And John and I worked together uh, in the early years of SVRA at a couple of events, and it really started to go. And I could see I made an investment into um, Trans Am, and and now. It's a major part of our show. And then, uh, of course, FR and F4, what that gives us is a young demographic. And, and I'm excited to have the ladder system of a, you know, if a kid can win an FR or a kid can win an F4, they got the chance to go to IndyCar or they got the chance to go to Formula One or, or some other direction to make me a professional racer. So we got these young kids, 15 year olds, and I got some gray beards on the other end of the <laughs> and everywhere in between. And it's, um, you know, our scale is, is really amazing. It's, it's, it's been fun to, you know, when you think about having 5,000 entries in the season, it's attracted some household brands for sponsors and the whole boat has risen as a result of not just one piece, but all the collective pieces. It's, you know, the old adage, one plus one actually equals three instead of two by putting the parts together. I'm sorry. Before we take a deeper dive, Tony, into this weekend and Trans Am awesomeness, let's stay on kind of the wider company angle for just a moment and talk about 
another development or two that I think is pretty important coming into 2021. That's launching your own app for folks who want to follow along and see it all. And where I think this is important for you and your company, as you well know, most major racing series are betrothed to the best deal they can get with a network partner. Those deals aren't always the best though. And so I love how you've taken control of this and said, well, we want to make sure anybody and everybody can get what we're offering if they can't make it to the race weekends themselves. Tell me about that. And also the, the sponsor side you mentioned about the platform to grow and add. Feels like I see a press release every day about a new corporate partner joining uh, your group. But it seems like the, uh, the app and the sponsorship growth might be tied a little bit hand in hand. They, they are, Marshall. The, the truth of the matter is when we when we started, the, the goal was to become part of mainstream motorsports in America. And at that time, technology wasn't what it is today. I didn't really see live streaming as the answer. I, I like a lot of people, thought network TV would be the way to go. The problem is to, to get network live network TV is so cost prohibitive that vintage racing couldn't do it on its own. And frankly, Trans Am couldn't do it on its own. So the best we could do with Trans Am was do tape delay, which I don't personally believe there's a lot of value in tape delay of races. And frankly, we couldn't, we couldn't quantify number of people viewing. We are doing it on cable. As long story short, as technology has changed, we decided that live streaming was within our reach and we launched it. And, and the beauty part about live streaming, it's a worldwide deal. Anybody can, can access it. We've now commercialized it where we have two ways you can see it. One, if you want to watch it live, you can watch for a whole weekend, SVRA, Trams, AM, everything we have on the Speed Tour weekend for $9.95 for the weekend. Or you can buy a sorry, season's pass um, for $59.95 and include our Speed Tour magazine. But if folks who don't want to spend the money, it's no big deal. We, we do live, we stream it later on social media at no charge a week later. So the folks who want to watch it live, help us pay for it. And what's happened is it's, directly changed their sponsorship format. Um, I'm seeing household names come to us that are more consumer brand oriented than race or luxury brand. It, we've gone through an evolution as a company. When we started, it was race related brands. So the Sunoco's, the Hoosiers, the Pirelli, anybody who, you know, Lucas Oil, anybody who came to us because of our scale of entries, it made sense for a race-related brand to be a sponsor. Then when they saw who our competitors were, were a wealthy demographic at the SVRA level, certainly, we started getting uh, luxury brands like you know, Marathon Coach, Jaguar, Land Rover, et cetera, not Jets. But now with streaming, you know, WeatherTech has come to the table, uh, Avis has come to the table, uh, you're, you're seeing household names, Mission Foods has come to the table because our scale and reach, our numbers are competitive with some of the biggest names in racing as far as reach and social media and impressions. So we have a right to be at that table for the first time. So this has all been a, 
a work in progress, but I'm really excited to see how far we've come uh, with, with the sponsorship side. As you mentioned, it's not quite every day, but we've, um, we've had our fair share of growth and I, I see that continuing, frankly. I think I see John Claggett coming through the uh, the Zoom time machine. What a wonderful uh, inclusion here. Bit of a uh, uh, surprise guest. John, perfect for you to take the uh, baton in the conversation here, talking about Trans Am and its reboot. So whether it's through the app, going to an event and seeing it live, reading about it on a racer.com, there's some great content that we can get with this modern day Trans Am series. Tell folks though, who maybe enjoy what they have today, it was a little bit dusty and needing of a, uh, maybe a full chassis restoration uh, to get it to where it was. And you've been a central, central figure in making Trans Am a, a strong property again. Tell us about that. Well, I could probably talk about it for a very long time, but to shorten, uh, opportunity there is to really talk about 2011 when uh, the ownership group uh, really had to be put together or Trans Am was going to die. Uh, SECA had made it clear that they didn't have the money to keep building uh, the brand with all the other requirements they had to run the club or pro racing's division. So an ownership group was um, uh, spearheaded by Jim Durhog at that point. It was central to uh, guys in the paddock that needed to have Trans Am alive to basically support their own racing. And then uh, the best phone call I ever made was in 2012 after we had already started operating, but I made a call to Tony saying, uh, do you see an opportunity to put modern day Trans Am with your organization because you have a group that has vintage Trans Am in it? And what do you think of the idea of a vintage slash modern day Trans Am component to your weekends? Thank goodness he said, yeah, I see the mm. value of that. Because then in 2013, we started with three races that were combos, including Sebring, which uh, the whole reason I called Tony was that he had uh, invested in signature events, signature circuits that when I looked at them, uh, meant something to a Trans Am competitor, like a Sebring. So we started off with three and then uh, Tony started kind of liking what we were all about started asking if he could be considered to be part of the ownership group. And that took three years to actually get him in. August, 2016 is when the ownership group uh, invited Tony to join. Uh, they saw the value of all of the pieces that he had started to put in place at the SVRA level, which when I, of all the operators I've ever worked with, and I, I would say that's a lot uh, yeah. that over the course of time. I had never seen anybody committed to building an event model from the ground up. And 
I was a victim of that or uh, susceptible to that myself when we had all cart races or champ car races. I could sit there and talk about how wonderful our numbers were, but I wasn't doing any of the heavy lifting mm. that created the value. And in Tony world, that all changed where um, we, we, I say we, Tony and I have built this event model, but it's mostly Tony, that gives us our own ability to control our destiny. And it's taken every race that we do in a repeat year to year, there's growth from the year before. And it's because Tony has this event marketing thing figured out how to do it. And so we're no longer controlled by the destiny of what was cart or what was champ car, or our, if we only have good numbers because there's a NASCAR race. Those are no longer uh, the things that drive our ability to have a great marketing platform. Let's talk, John, and, and stay here on Trans Am about the classes that you have developed, some which are, are longstanding, but some that are also, I would say, in reaction to the market's evolution and need, right? Your customers will tell you, or those outside your organization will tell you, hey, uh, me and some friends, we have some this type of car. We sure would love to have a place to use it. You guys have responded where there's been value in that. You've also taken a step a pretty significant step too on the infrastructure side, just talking say race control, race director level as well. You guys are swinging for the fences here. Tell me about the class evolution and also say a uh, David Hoots joining you all from NASCAR. Those are big moves. Yeah, so class uh, configurations. The Trans Am class is the one, you know, where you're uh, prototype tube frame silhouette body uh, 850 horsepower with no driver aids right and you talk to the boris seds of the world they say this is chris dyson currently both of those guys there is no other motorsport property that has gone backwards with uh, driver aids. So this is true, authentic sports car racing as it always was. And nothing has really truly changed about the Trans Am class uh, from a engineering point of view since the Bob Riley configurations of the <laughs> 1980s. You know, when you really get down to it, the engineering uh, uh, model is very similar. Sure, there's been new updates and shocks and springs and, and, thing, and getting better life out of a 850 horses, but the real investment was made by Kerry uh, Hitt to modernize our body works, where he spent probably a million dollars of his own money to give us contemporary looking bodies starting in 2013 and 14. So we got the VAT, then we got the Cadillac, then we got the Mustang, then the Challenger. And all of that has brought Trans Am class to look modern, right? Then TA2 is really uh, just an, an amazing success story. You might say dumb luck, where uh, 
From the very beginning, though, we had the opportunity to put in place the price caps and the uh, small group of constructors that we were going to allow, uh, engine certification programs that we controlled. And it has led to this amazing thing that it is. 38 cars are scheduled to be at Laguna Seca in, in 10 days time, which is getting, that's pretty remarkable. Uh, huh. Where it's come for guys like Rafa Matos, Indy 500 rookies of the year to the NASCAR kids, to SVRA uh, guys that see that this is just a great pl platform on a cost value, throw it all together and it's attracted top tier motor sports car racers like Mike Skeen. And then you put it all on the racetrack and it really is an amazing looking uh, class. You know, John, the other thing that I love about TA2 is I was speaking with a friend here locally in the Bay Area who doesn't race in Trans Am, saw the value in TA2 and was telling me, yeah, we've agreed we need to get a TA2 car. And we're not really planning on doing the rest of the calendar or driving out. You know, we're more amateur based, but when they come to town, we want to have something that we can bring and go racing in TA2. Another thing that's really important about what you guys have done with Trans Am and its refurbishment is it was a series for decades where you might not have all full season uh, competitors in each race because you'd have the locals who were able to plug in and be part of things. You guys have created that opportunity to come back as well. You don't see that a lot at an IndyCar, NASCAR, whatever race of the locals having both the right equipment that fits the rules and the ability to participate. Yeah, and that's where being part of the SCCA family has its value. You know, all of our classes, and we haven't touched on the production classes yet, but all of them have an amateur division that can feed the pro side of things. And so a team, just as you have said, in the Northern California area, they might come do two races a year with us, but there could be five or six races for them on a local regional club racing basis. Yeah. And there the economics will work for them. Uh, and, and these are very popular track day cars as well. So it's just, you know, being smart technically with a rules package that is not extreme. And in the TA2, you just look at it and say, really a $130,000 race car um, that competes for a year at kind of the Mazda MX-5 Cup uh, price point <laughs> and you get to race um, NASCAR kids and Indy 500 rookies of the year I mean there's nothing in racing even remotely close to that uh, then you the production side of things um, have evolved ebbs and flows of what we're trying to do but we're trying to match up to uh, FIA GT4 and GT3 relative to our three classes and really mostly trying to find a home for cars that have been homologated out of the current day IMSA or current day SRO and give those 
teams there an opportunity to race them here or find a new buyer for the, you know, secondhand buyer that's going to take it and still have a lot of life left in that race car. And that's what our production classes are more or less trying to achieve. Talk about that fine acquisition from NASCAR as well on the officiating side. Yet again, another move, John, where you say we're, we're building this thing correctly and growing it in the right way that should give confidence to all your competitors. Yeah, first, uh, I would say that Dorsey Schrader has done a great job for us in the past, and he's still an ambassador of Trans Am. Uh, and, you know, but the opportunity to get an operator like David Hoots, who has done over a thousand NASCAR races at the highest level. Uh, it was a great opportunity for us to uh, be able to do something that he could commit as an exclusive or not necessarily exclusive, but that he could do all of our races. Uh, Dorsey had commitments with HSR. There were races that he you know, felt that he had been doing for HSR for years, if not decades, and he didn't want to uh, change some of those arrangements around where Trans Am was clearly the number one priority. So for us in growing, uh, it meant that we needed to have somebody that made Trans Am their number one commitment. And with David, you're just getting a guy that is just so buttoned down. He uh, in talking to him for three or four months before our first race, the level of questions that he was asking about our, you know, how we operated were just questions that I have never heard before out of any chief steward that I've been involved with since 1984. Mm -hmm. And it gave me a level of comfort that, that he was going to be the right guy. And uh, I, you know, there may be uh, some races that come along that are challenging, but so far, you know, I think our, even our online viewers have noticed a difference in how the race is managed from race control. There's just little subtle things as a viewer that you go, oh, well, that's a little different. Mm -hmm. So we're very happy with that. Let's close on two topics of interest. Don't know whether you want to take them, John or Tony. You guys can split them up. Let's come back to TA2. Again, all pivoting towards what's happening here in the West Coast with Trans Am coming to uh, Thrill this weekend. Move a little bit further west, more in the uh, Australia level. Uh, there's some interest in TA2 and whatnot uh, being heard down under. Uh, tell me about the desire to uh, expand what y'all are doing into uh, def definitely different markets. Yeah, and that one probably is best for me um, in that we had started, I'd say, six, seven um, months ago well actually that that's not even correct because of covid i, I lose a lot of sight of where we are with the six months that just disappeared but about a year and some ago uh, the australian racing group which is uh, the recognized number one sanctioning body for sports car racing in australia said uh we want 
to do a proper licensing agreement with your company, develop our brand on your brand, follow your rules package as much as we can, are you interested? Well, of course we were, and that's how it started. Uh, they had a, uh, a COVID response very similar to what we did last year in that they shut down uh, travel and races uh, inside of Australia. So they only had one race last year. Uh, they've come back this year in a much healthier place. They've got something like 20 cars on the grid, TA2 cars on the grid. And, uh, you know, it's just a great success story that ultimately we gave them the rights to expand over to New Zealand. Um, so at some point there should be Trans Am uh, in New Zealand as well. So that's, that's something that we're proud of that the TA2 has a global footprint now. Brilliant. Let's finish on a topic that intrigues me. I've heard rumor of it. I don't know if you guys want to talk about it. Long before my beard turned gray, back in 1988, a young, thinner Marshall Pruitt was thrilled to watch Audi make their debut in Trans Am and bring technology with all-wheel drive small displacement turbo just revolutionized interest in trans am keep hearing that there could be some increasing technology that is under consideration for trans am in the future is that anything you guys can talk about here as you try and plan for the future one little piece i'll take and then i'm throwing that hot potato over to tony uh, <laughs> We're, we are doing some uh, development of, of an 18 inch tire and wheel for the Trans Am class, which will bring Trans Am back to its proper place of being the fastest sports cars in North America. Uh, that testing program is uh, being done by Pirelli with uh, Chris Dyson. And we will see in probably July, August, September, the final uh, pieces of that development uh, done, where 2022 would be the launch of 18-inch tires and wheels for the Trans Am class only. We're not going to do that uh, in TA2. But, hey, Tony, what about that rumor? Yeah, that, it's something about extra horsepower, maybe but not from an internal combustion engine. That, that's the hot rumor on the street. Yeah, I think um, it's no secret that we're in the middle of a technology shift in the all, entire automotive industry, let's face it. And we would be asleep at the wheel if we didn't at least consider how does that enter into our strategy going forward? Um, you know, it's a little bit premature to talk specifics, but I will tell you we are entertaining uh, an electric, uh, at least for now, exhibition class um, within Trans Am. The ultimate goal, if you if you look at if you look at Trans Am's history, in in my perspective, when I was a young kid at ten years old in 1969, seeing 
as sold on the showroom floor, slightly modified with a roll cage, racing, taking a production car and turning it into a race car. I would really like to see that happen again across several manufacturers. And I think if in fact we could do it with electric cars, um, I think it would bring real value to OEMs. Uh, if, you, if you think about it today, um, you know, with all this change from gas combustion to hybrids to total electric, racing has always provided a platform for stress-related R&D. There's no better stress-related stress R&D than racing. And I think as electric becomes part of our everyday life across the board, I think we have an opportunity where we race, our demographic and our paddock, to at least consider having an electric class for Trans Am. So as, um, as the world evolves, I think Trans Am will evolve too. That's not to say that we're doing away with our existing infrastructure. We kind of like making some noise, that's for sure. <laughs> Um, but I think there's a need for racing to, and I think there's a need for the technology to evolve. I mean, it's not unlike the turn of the century when we went from horse and buggy to gas combustion and the role the Indy 500 played to really proving out and validating that the gas engine was here to stay. I don't think it's not here to stay. It's going to be here. And I think we can play a role in that, especially with where we raise our footprint, our demographic, and our infrastructure. Our, the way we race our 100-mile races, I don't think that's possible today with an electric car to run flat out 100 miles. But I think we can build towards that level of endurance and where a battery can do it. It's just um, very early in the stage. Several of the OEMs have have made planted a flag that they're going to be total electric by X date. And um, I think we can help them with that. Tony Perella, John Claggett. Go ahead, John. It gives us a new marketing tagline, the past, the present, the future. Come see it all in one weekend. Look mm -hmm. at that. Andy handles marketing. I tell you what, guys. Thanks so much for uh, joining us here. Trans Am West Coast. Sonoma Raceway, Laguna Seca. I mean, if you could come up with a, a time machine where we could go back, John, as you mentioned, and watch the amazing battles from the late 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you name it. You're coming to one of Trans Am's spiritual homes here uh, in California. So can't wait for that. And Francisque, thanks again for hosting us here on this ePartrade and Racer collaboration. You are very welcome, Marshall. A big thank you, Tony and John, uh, for joining us today. Uh, the webinar has been recorded. It will be available later on the ePortrait platform, as well as on our YouTube channel, as well as Racer. We will be back uh, next Wednesday. We're going back to tech. We're going to be talking about understanding modern era for fuel delivery system with the Dembest race fuel system. So again, thank you very, very much for joining us. Have a terrific uh, race this weekend and uh, we'll see you again soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.